circa 1990. It's your boy Yvonne. And I'm LaDante. We are the founders and managing partners of New Age Capital, an early stage venture capital firm investing in dope tech startups founded and led by black and Latino entrepreneurs. We've known each other for mm, 10 years now. And over the last decade, we've made it through college. We turned up, we traveled, survived corporate America, and started a couple companies together, ultimately leading us to where we are today. New Age Capital is the culmination of our passion for entrepreneurship, coupled with our deep frustration with the lack of venture capital invested in Black and Latino communities. Also, there was really no venture brand out there that connected with us on a cultural and interpersonal level, so we decided to create something dope that was authentic to our lifestyles. Little did we know, raising a fund is hard as No, but seriously though, raising a fund? It's hard as f But we still out here though. So on our journey to build a new age capital, we decided to highlight some of the amazing entrepreneurs we met along the way. This is Chopping It Up. Today, we're talking to Crystal Etienne. Crystal is the founder and CEO of PantyProp. We learned about Crystal's company through a Fast Company article in early 2018. She's been building PantyProp, a direct-to-consumer underwear and swimwear company that protects men and women against leaks. Through sheer hustle, determination, and execution, she was able to bootstrap her first run of underwear, and in the first two years of her company's formation, she was able to garner $1.1 million in sales. Now, let's take a look at the femtech industry. In 2017, CB Insights reported that startups with missions to improve women's healthcare raised around $1.1 billion. This includes startups ranging from fertility solutions, period and fertility tracking apps, period care goods, to sexual wellness. This sector has tremendous opportunities for growth as society has also become increasingly open in addressing the needs of women's health. Frost & Sullivan, a business consulting firm involved in market research and analysis, reported that the femtech sector has the market potential of $50 billion by 2025. More importantly, these startups are creating access to affordable healthcare options for women around the globe. Let's go chat with Crystal to get her perspective on panty prop. All right, so we uh, we have Crystal Etienne here in the building with us. Thank How you, you for joining us. How you doing? <laughs> Great to have you. I like, I like, I like the hair. <laughs> <I like that. laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, um, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. So uh, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, this is uh, the inaugural season of, of chopping it up. Uh, we, Dante and I, have been thinking of ways to really you know, promote entrepreneurship um, among our community and, and do it in, around content um, and really highlighting certain entrepreneurs. So when we learned about, you know, you and what you're doing with Panty Pop, we're like, yeah, we have to get it uh, Crystal on and, and uh, talk to her and really get that vibe and, and see what the goal is. So, um, yeah, let's start off with, you know, who is Crystal Etienne? What's a little bit about your background and, um, you know, who are you? Who do you want people to, to view you as? Individual. Yeah, so Crystal Etienne is your typical black girl. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing fancy about me at all, and there's nothing fancy. I actually grew up in Flushing, Queens. Okay. okay. Um, but I live in Long Island now. Okay. 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 Um, so kind of growing up was entrepreneurship you know something that you were raised around or you were thinking about or uh, you know is it a bug that got you early later in life you know what what was that whole process about so i wasn't raised around it but i all out of my whole family i would say i was the entrepreneur okay so i started very young yeah probably at like um with my sister and a friend in the neighborhood yeah um i saw a tree like in front of our building yeah 
And I was like, you know what? We can make some money off that tree. It was like an <laughs> apple tree. It wasn't even apples. I don't even know what it was to this right. day. Like these wow. little things like used to fall off. So mm-hmm. we used to pack them up. I was like, you know what? We're gonna set up right here. I probably was like maybe like six or seven. Right. My um, building had a lot like where you would park your car. Yeah. And everybody had to enter that way. So I said we're gonna set up right there. And we were selling people those things off of that tree. We would pack them up in plastic. And nobody we, called the cops on y'all like six no, or seven. No. <laughs> 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 you wouldn't be a southern happy. <laughs> you ain't got a permit. Right. In the 80s, nobody was thinking about that. Yeah, so you guys started with Sandy. And then my father is from Harlem. My mother is from Bayside, but my father is from Harlem. So I guess when I was younger, the Harlem came out. I wanted to have that hustle mentality. So we went from apples to selling lemonade. Okay. I didn't lemonade, yeah. we sell iced tea actually. Iced tea, okay. Yeah, because I said, you know what, everybody sell lemonade, let's sell iced tea. When I was younger, I would just always try to figure out things or say, like, there's a solution for everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I still feel like that. I just feel like to this day, like, there's a solution for everything. The only thing there is not a solution for is death. Right. Otherwise, there's a solution for everything. Mm-hmm. And I've always just felt like that. Right. You know, let's fast forward a little bit, Um, you know, even before you know, panty prop as, you know, were you starting from a vantage point of you saw a bunch of problems as you got older and you're like, you know, let me try to solve them or was, you know, panty prop, you know, that one thing that you were feeling needed to be uh, dealt with at the time or, you know, what's what's your journey to panty prop? And then you can talk a little bit about how you started the company. Yeah, so I always was, had the yeah. entrepreneur mind. I yeah. just didn't know it when I was right, younger. Right, right, right. Um, my first business was actually, I would say my first real business. I actually had mall-based stores. Oh, okay. Mall-based stores okay. in Long Island. Oh, wow. Um, and I had lingerie stores. Okay. So at the time, I was younger. Yeah. So I was like, obviously, I was buy lingerie. Right. All the Victoria's Secrets. I was like, this crap is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I found actually in the city here, like the manufacturers used to be the lingerie building. And I, I used to see that the crap was like three dollars, like the cost of it. So I was right. like, I'm gonna open up my own stores and compete with them. So I used to wow. I used to buy the lingerie and I opened up lingerie stores and I would sell wow. it for cheaper. And um since they're like private label, right. they might have a color that I couldn't buy. Yeah. But it would be the same piece, same underwear, and that's where my first business was. First business okay. As far as like was doing that. Okay. Um and I stayed working. Wow, like, dude. You know, yeah, gotta have that side like hustle. Yeah, so I stayed working, and then after a while, I had to like quit. Right. And then I, I closed my stores down. Okay. What was the what, what job were you working at that helped sustain what you were doing on the side? I was a um, like a, a a controller assistant. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Like I became a controller later on, but I was a controller assistant. Yeah. And then what caused you? What was the cause of of you shutting down those stores? Like what eventually happened? With the, with the lingerie? The recession. <laughs> okay, okay. And True. then also at the same time, you know, it was, since it was mall-based, okay. mall-based, you're really like still working for somebody because you still got to be yeah, there. Yeah. You still got to open up your store yeah. at a certain time and then you're dealing with, um, I would say like more like high school students, like okay. the being yeah, employees yeah, and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Not people who got to pay real bills. Right. So yeah. it was a lot, like with all the stores. Yeah. And I would say two stores was driving the other stores down. I know when to quit. <laughs> like if something right, right, right. Yeah, right. I, I know when to quit.
quick to say, okay, like this is not working. Like right. at that time, I had a mortgage, I had everything. Yeah. I was like, you know what, this is like driving too much yeah. from me, and it wasn't rewarding. Even though being an entrepreneur, it drives too much. But it, when you don't have like that passion or that reward, mm-hmm. it wasn't. I, I didn't really have the passion for it. Okay. It just I started it because I was like that freaking stuff at Victoria's Secrets was cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and you can like, get some pretty good margins. <laughs> right, we pay those yeah. twenty-five dollars for some little tiny pair of underwear yeah. when you can just get it for like eight dollars, and that's what I was selling it for. Uh, that's great. Um, great segue. So let's get into it. You know yeah. what's. You know, Penny Prop, which is doing great right now. Let's let's get into the backstory a little bit about you know what problem you identified personally, and then how that led you to starting Penny Prop. Yeah. So um, when I had my daughter, when I was in my twenties, I had developed like incontinence. In my gynecologist, like one day I was like at a party with my friends. Just yeah. imagine being like twenty something years old at a party mm-hmm. with your friends, and you laugh, and then you just like pee. <laughs> 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 It was, nobody knew, but yeah. it's like, a, it's a horrible feeling, like, yeah. to be in the middle of somewhere and have that feeling. Yeah. So I went to my gynecologist, and he told me that most people don't realize, that most women don't realize, like, after you have your baby postpartum, yeah. your um, bladder loses. Mm-hmm. So it happens okay. to the majority of women, no matter what age you have right. a baby. Right. Um, after a couple of months, or maybe like a year, your bladder loosens, and then that's when you develop stress incontinence. Like, when you laugh or cough, I'm sure right. you've heard people say. <laughs> no, right, right, <laughs> right. Um, and then, just dealing with my period, since I was 11 years old, yeah. one day I had enough. I literally was like, in my house, watching Wendy Williams, and like my <laughs> pad was just there, and I was like, this is just disgusting. Right. I really thought it was like, I said to myself, like, if I can, like, if we can sit here right now, yeah. and send somebody a text in, say, Africa, right. why am I still dealing with something that's exactly. just a natural body function that is making me uncomfortable? Right. Like it's, I, I just feel like the world goes so fast. Which yeah. is, I, I love going fast, but going so fast, so fast of trying to beat the next innovation. Right. When something so simple as women's health and hygiene just was not being addressed, and that, that's one day I just really had enough. Yeah. Like right. I came down here in the yeah. city, and I just went to like manufacturers. I started googling, like going, right. and then I found people to make my pattern. I chose like maybe I think I did like three or four. I don't remember, like three or four people. Like to, to make it so I can see which one came out better. I eliminated what I needed and then it just went from there. How did you start constructing the pattern? How did you know, like, all right, it has to be this way or these are the ideas mm-hmm. that it should be? And I remember, it, if I'm not mistaken, there's like an insert for the pattern initially. Yeah. What would kind of walk us through like the process of even coming up with that? Yeah, so I only had a drawing of like, a, um, like what I had experienced that day, like what made me so aggravated. Mm-hmm. It was my sanitary pad. It was uncomfortable. It was showing. Mm-hmm. Like I was just laying on the bed and it was showing and yeah. it was uncomfortable. It was shifting. So my initial um, thing was I just wanted to hide it. Right. I wanted it to be uncomfortable and I wanted to, it to not bother me. Yeah. So I, the initial thing was just um, like a, I would call it a hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like an underwear in the gusset. And I started realizing like, um, Cause I'm my own customer, mm-hmm. um, and then I had my friend come like with her daughter and asking her questions. I did like a lot of research like around people that wear sanitary pads, people that cannot use insertables at all, and the majority of people wear sanitary pads and they're uncomfortable. If you ask anyone who wears a sanitary pad, whether it be because men wear sanitary pads too, but if you ask anyone who wears that sanitary pad, they, the first thing they're gonna say is, "I don't want to use a sanitary pad because it's uncomfortable. Right. I want to use a tampon." Yeah. 
So we are forced, there's no in-between solution from that sanitary pad to the tampon or the menstrual cup. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to create. I wanted you to have an option that you don't have to put a foreign object into your body mm -hmm. and for you to be comfortable and not complain about it. So let's take a step back a little bit and talk about, you know, you mentioned you know, going to manufacturers and then like this mm -hmm. patenting process. Can you talk a little bit about how, how that happened? Like, how did you learn to do those things? Because that's not something, you know, an entrepreneur just knows to do to know where to find the materials or, you know, what's going to be needed, um, you know, and then also knowing how to patent it and then what man where to go to find the manufacturers. I mean, I know you probably had that experience from before, but can you talk about that? No, I didn't oh, have okay, the manufacturer, okay. I didn't. What okay. I had was wholesalers. Ah, okay. I had no idea. Okay, like I okay. was, when I had my lingerie stores, I was buying it mm -hmm. and just private labeling it, like sticking a label on it. Yeah. This time, it was something that I created, that I yeah. invented. So I had no idea, and it just took uh, it, it just took research. Like research is not in a day. Yeah. So when one thing didn't work, when one person didn't work, I went to the next person. And like I said, that's why I chose like four people mm -hmm. like to do it because sometimes if you um, choose one. Then if they don't come out, then you like you stop. Know, four different manufacturers. Yeah, yeah okay. to make my patterns. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what did that research that entail? Drawing. Just my drawing. Just your, okay. Oh, of how I found of, them? Yeah, of how you found oh, them. Oh, yeah, so finding them, first I did Google. Obviously. Right, right, right. And if you do Google, it's really not that many. And then I came upon a website called Maker's Row. Ah, okay. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. With, with, uh, yeah, yeah, so I use makersrow.com. Yeah. And they have, because um, I wanted it made in the USA, they mm -hmm. focus very much on um, made in the USA. Okay. And then I just started researching through there, okay. calling. Some people didn't pick up. Not every manufacturer picks up. Some yeah. don't want to deal with like a small company. Mm -hmm. And I just called. I, I just literally called and just made myself, from my background, I know how to speak like on a corporate level, right. like what I want to get. Right. So right. I just knew from there like how to speak to them, like to get them. Right. And how many would you say you actually like reached out to? Oh, um, probably at least like all together. Yeah. Maybe like, I would say like 10. Now the patenting process, is, does that come into play after you find the manufacturers to design the patent? Like how? how I was doing it at the same time. Ah, okay. Yeah, so as we were perfecting it, I actually moved to, um, because I, I started the company with my own money. Yeah. So I didn't want to use, obviously writing a patent is a lot of money. Right. I didn't know it was so much at the time. That was another research. And a, I, I thought we could just give somebody yeah. like $2,000 to get started. Nope. Retainers, <laughs> yeah, retainers for attorneys, for like an IP attorney, yeah, is like $7,000. Uh, yeah. Like $7,000. And to some people, that's not a lot. But to me, I don't even care. I had $10 million. That $6,000 would have been like a lot to me. Yes. Because I, could, I just knew that I could take that $6,000 and use it as something else. So what I did was I started calling the USPTO office mm. and they helped me for free. Really? And I actually moved to Virginia um, for like 30 days, almost 30 days, so that I can go there and ask my questions. I probably, back then, I, I called there probably at least, I would say, 20 times a day. Wow. Yeah. So you moved there for 30 days just so you could really get that mm -hmm. that daily, like, you know, yeah, push and I stayed there from morning to night writing it. When I had, like, a question and I feel like I wasn't getting the answer, I would wow. go over there and ask the question. They can't tell you what to write, but they can give you the format and help you along the, guidance. the way. And that's what I did. If you can file it and do it yourself and follow their, as long as it's in their format and you can, you know, get all of your things of what your patent is about, like, it's particular wording. Right. But you have to know like what exactly before you go there. You got to know what your patent is going to be on, right. okay. and then you can get the help from there. So my initial patent, I paid nothing at all. Wow. But to file it, to write 
gusset. It's not even on no particular, it's on, okay. on the gusset that can be licensed out eventually. The patent is on a hole, pretty much, that performs and functions as a utility. It's not a design, it's a utility. It has a function to it. Um, so everything is based around that. So once I had that, like the hole, correct, like the way I needed it, at that time, then I started manufacturing. So to do the samples, like I said, I used like four people, I think. Mm -hmm. Each one, everybody had different prices too. It ranged from like 250 to 650. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to see like if the 650 person was better than 250, and it wasn't. <laughs> I actually, the best person who actually got it correct for me was actually the 250. Wow. Yeah, so I had um, did that, I got them all, and then I decided from there. And then I said, you know what? Um, I knew that I wanted, at that time, I just wanted to do underwear. Okay. Um, underwear for women right. um, and girls. And then I just built everything around my gusset. The, the people that originally did my patterns and my samples are, is not my production facility. It's a, I, I found out a lot of stuff at that time. Like I thought like, oh, okay, you're done. And I told them like, oh, okay, let's start producing. And they went to charge me like $30 on underwear. I'm like, I can't, I can't sell underwear for like $60. <laughs> so you had to find a manufacturer to produce the prototype essentially and then take it to another Yes, yes, because I, I realized, I know a lot about it now, but then I did it. Like, yeah. I, I was dumb. Like, anyone who was just starting out knows nothing. Right. I knew absolutely nothing. I thought after we got it right, I'm telling you, I told them, like, okay, like, let's start producing it. I need, like, 100. And they were like, okay, $30 underwear. Wow. <laughs> and I was pass. like, okay, pass. <laughs> <laughs> pass. No, thank you. So, again, I was back at researching. Four makers wrote. Like, try to find manufacturers. And then I found um, a couple of manufacturers, and I'm the type of person I don't like. I said I don't put all my eggs in one basket. Right, right. So I got like two factories, like to produce it and see who came out fast, the pricing and everything. Because at that time I was doing like small quantities, maybe 500, mm -hmm. and I had like one size at that time. Um, I found the perfect fabric. Um, I actually created what's in my gusset, like in my technology. Mm -hmm. I actually created that with. Um, like there's different pieces to it. Okay. So I actually deal with different manufacturers for that. It doesn't all uh, come for the from assembly. one place, right? For the yeah. fabric. Yeah. So the fact that where the sourcing of the fabrics, yeah. I actually created the majority of it, like to, of testing it and playing with it to make sure that it works. Okay. And then I just had people that I know like test it, and then I did like this big test where I would just sometimes I would just give people it and mm -hmm. see what they say. When did you start developing a cut like? A substantial customer base like when did you actually start to even sell it and how long did that take from prototype to actually right, I'm moving units now yeah so when I first launched which was December of 2015 okay um, I don't remember it's hard to I don't remember how many orders I launched with like I, I sold them first and then we launched because I was waiting for production okay um, it wasn't a lot there were like pre-sales or yeah but it wasn't really it wasn't no real so that I could see, like get it out. Yeah. I did no advertising at all. I'm telling you, I zero zero advertising. I knew absolutely nothing at all. Um, one of my competitors, they had actually just went viral for um, like these subway ads. Mm -hmm. So I like piggybacked off of them. So when people was looking for their expensive underwear, because they were selling forty dollars underwear, and I was like, I felt the same way with that Victoria's Secret thing, like forty dollars underwear. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's get their funnel of people that are like, nah, you're too expensive. I had already um, purchased like all of my competitive stuff, and it was not, it was not what I was looking for. Right. Like they didn't work properly. Like you know how I, everything that I named and what I wanted my product, none of it worked 
that way. Right. So I had to already know. And I was like, if they're selling that crap for <laughs> forty dollars, right. you know, I can sell something that really works. And I really wanted to be for the normal person. A normal person cannot afford one pair of forty dollar underwear. Right. So but for like fifteen, twenty dollars, a normal person can afford something under twenty dollars. Yeah, right. So don't just solve your problem. Like or two or three of them for that forty that they can well, then we put it, if you buy a couple, yeah. then for that one $40 pair of underwear, we'll give you four. Right, 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 <laughs> right. You right. know, or just for like a little bit more money, you get four. Yeah. So we just started from there. So there was no advertising at all. And then once I grew, once um, I saw like it was like the sales were like growing and growing and growing. I used to be up all night answering people's um, emails. Yes. <laughs> it did live chat. I used to be on live oh, really? You do it answering that? Yeah, I used to be on live chat. For the Yeah, they burn company, yeah, but for the first three months of my company, it was me up all night, like answering people live chat, and then it just grew from there. And then March, maybe um, I think December, March, like four months later, I went viral with my swimwear because since we grew so fast with the um, underwear, I was able to bring more of my products because I was like, you know what? I always, I always had my vision of what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wanted a lifestyle brand that you could just wear mm-hmm. every day, normal pieces, nothing fancy that you could just use whenever you. Right. On a normal day, like with right. whatever you use, you know, so underwear, activewear, swimwear, yeah. sleepwear, regular normal things that we do. So once I grew and I saw that the sales were coming in, I just always kept taking the money and reinvesting it. And right. then I was able to do the swimwear next. Right. And then my swimwear went viral. So what, did something lead to that or was it just, your, you know, your current customers that saw you had a new product line and well, they the bought swimwear? up? Yeah, the swimwear. Like how'd that go viral? Um, after I got the one sample yeah. and I tested it yeah. and knew that everything was good with it, yeah. I did like a small production run mm-hmm. and I actually just sent an email to like, I think it was Team Bo maybe? It was wow. Team Bo Cosmopolitan, like, I don't even remember what I put, right. but they contacted me, once they posted it, then everybody, and then that was, I remember that clearly, that was March of 2016. Wow. And that from since then, we have just... Exploded. It was it was crazy because we had just from that one article. Every you know when when it's just one article, everyone picks it up and we went viral. And then we haven't slowed down since then. You know, on that note, getting to your marketing, you know, what what has been your approach? You know, how have you been able to keep your customer acquisition costs low? Continue to build your community. um, You know, and what's been your approach to social media marketing? You know, so like the first year and a half, there was no budget of advertising at all. It was just um, I realized that customers like myself, mm-hmm. that have that problem, we just want information. Mm-hmm. So I found SEO, <laughs> that I knew okay. nothing about. And once I like taught myself that, mm-hmm. I started really gathering information and having um, someone who writes very well yeah. put together the information I started giving out um, education. Like to grow faster, right. we actually started doing ads yeah. um, the beginning of this year. Mm-hmm. And I see it worse. I'm like, I should have done that two years ago. <laughs> but we still don't do anything. And now it's like having people, people were finding us. And now I realized a few months ago um, that we need to start finding people to help more people. Yeah. And that's what we did. What were the kind of revenue numbers looking like? And were you able to start paying yourself? Like, what was that? Like, what was that financial? Was it a strain? Was it not? Kind of walk, walk us through like no, that. No, because I have always, I, I was always fine, like in okay. my life. Which I know a lot of people aren't like in the same situation that I was. Yeah. Um, like I, I was making a six-figure salary, like when I was 
start them yeah. out. Yeah, and then I have a, my husband who does the same thing. So I know a lot of people aren't in my situation, but money is money. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's a fact. Right. So if you lose ten dollars, and you know, it, it's still a lot. A lot of people don't realize that they'll see somebody like with that situation and think, oh, they're fine. No, you're still losing something. So it was just a matter of just like staying on top of everything. And at that time, I saw that we were growing. Like with the numbers in 2017, like we really grew really extremely fast. Yeah. Um, and the way that we grew was I had found my first angel investor, Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> he, he is great. I don't even remember how I found him. Yeah. But um, in 2016, even though we were going viral, we weren't yeah. doing advertising. Yeah. So we weren't growing extremely fast. Right. I think in 2016, maybe did close to 300,000, which is still right. good. Yeah. But. Um, and the only reason why is because people always had an inventory. Right. And then in 2017, Chuck gave me the $25,000. He said, take yeah. it, use it for inventory. Yeah. Um, I put all of that into inventory. And then in 2017, um, we skyrocketed because we always had inventory. Right. And then we did like $1.1 million in sales. Wow. And then this year, we've already like tripled that so far. Wow. Yeah. So from Chuck, he's like my little angel. Yeah. Because he gave me $25,000 and we've never had a problem Stretch with inventory. Right. Yeah, we still do sometimes. Like if it's something yeah. that sells out, we'll put it up and it's going in like three weeks. Yeah. Um, but not the way we did back then. And have you have you raised more funding? Are you looking to raise more funding? You know, where the mm -hmm. position you're in now and, and the growth you're seeing, um, you know, you have a more formidable business. You know, it, it seems as though it should be a lot harder for investors to turn you down for what you're doing. How has this process been? <laughs> Yeah, so, talk about that a little bit. So total, um, to date, yeah. from everything that I told you from day one to now, yeah. we've raised 150000 So, But that's included my money. Also. Right, So right. $150,000 has gone into the company. That's it for all the sales. And we're already over $3 million in sales. Wow. I focus on customers at that time. Like, it's more, like, most people focus on fundraising. Yeah. But I was like, no, like, if I get the money, if I don't know how to do it and sell it, then... It don't matter. It doesn't matter because yeah. I don't test people's money. I rather test my own because mm -hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want you to tell me. Even though most investors lose their money and don't say nothing and they can't say anything, right. I still like have a heart. Right. <laughs> right. I feel bad. Yeah. I'm going to take your money and I don't know what to do. So I test my own money. Right. What's the feedback that you get on your company that? That oh my god, Crystal, I love that you grew the company so fast, but um, it's not my market, <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna pass. And then my thing is, like, as an investor, I thought you like money. Like, I'm showing you, like, where we're going, yeah. where we are, what we've done with minimal money. Like, I literally took Chuck's $25,000, and I put his $25,000 last year into $1.1 million. Right. And that enough right there, somebody just does not see that. Yeah. But talking to investors, they, they're looking for more of the gimmicks, I would right, say. Right. And this company is not a gimmick. This is the real deal. Like... I know what our focus is, I know what our strategy is, and I know exactly what it is. And we're gonna do it the right way, with no gimmicks, and we just wanna sell a product to people who need it. Talk a little bit about you know the grand vision when you get the resources you need, and you know as you continue to build, you know, at its maximum height and capacity, yeah. like what is your grand vision for Panty Prop and, and, and its world domination? My vision for it is to actually grow it the way we have been, to be that capsule collection of, like how I said, of what my vision was from the beginning, just for a natural body function 
for you to have natural products to just wear that you don't have to think about. My goal with that is to make it easier for the customer that needs it to have access to it. So growing the company will be to get it in more people's hands. Mm -hmm. um, so that's through digital marketing, you know, customer acquisition, that's getting it into wholesale distribution. Mm -hmm. And then eventually down the line, like maybe like two, three years from now, I actually want to have um, stores where people can actually go and pick it up. And not stores everywhere, like in the main areas of where people actually need it. You know, how do you think about Obviously, there's competitors in the market. Um, you know, some of them uh, have raised tens of millions of dollars mm -hmm. and have campaigns, as you say. They have, you know, posters everywhere and, and billboards and whatnot. Um, you know, what do you think is really that competitive advantage that, that's going to really get you over the hump? Because we have the product that solves the problem. All of my other competitors, and even like the big companies like Procter & Gamble or Kimberly & Clark, no one has that in-between solution except us. Okay. I want something where you don't, I, our product is something that you don't have to worry about. You put it on, that's where the name Panty Prop actually came from. You prop it on and you go. Ah, <laughs> you know, I get it. Yeah, that's actually where the name came from. Yes. You prop it on and go. Like when, when I first started, like my first month, I used to be on tagline, like, just prop it on and go. Because <laughs> it was something that you shouldn't have to worry about. Right. So we're already winning. Panty Prop is like that pink and pretty brand that is just for normal, regular people. There's nothing fancy. It's just, we just want to solve your problem. <laughs> and we want you to come back when you get a little bigger and you need a bigger size. <laughs> the key to entrepreneurship. Yeah, so, for for real. Real. so Crystal, thank you um, so much for coming and, and chatting you. with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we look forward to the success of Panty Prop. Um, you know, seeing plastered all over and, uh, yeah. and you getting your, your Forbes billionaire cover and how, you know, changing the world one gusset at a time, you know? <laughs> Today, we're talking to... Oh, it's a little tilted, actually. Thanks for kicking it with us this episode. And if you want to learn more about New Age Capital, check us out at newage.vc. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel for more dope content.